Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. In our continuing series on Church Matters, Dr. Scott Osborne previews how the church structures itself. Specifically, what does the New Testament have to say about pastors, otherwise known as elders or bishops? I just want to publicly thank Nate. He spoke three weeks in a row on spiritual gifts. Wasn't that nice of me? Say, speak three weeks in a row and your topic is spiritual gifts, right? Um, But no, I'm thankful for Nate and uh, the way he led our church uh, through that. And we had a really great conversation, beginning conversation in our MC this past week about gifts. And uh, so we're thankful for that. Uh, We are in a series looking at the nature of the church coming out of COVID, whatever that means, coming out of the Trump era and the, and the Christian ties to nationalism, and dealing with the continuing racial inequalities that our nation is facing, many are questioning the church. I don't know why I do this to myself, but I'm on Twitter, and the Twitter theological people are just insanity. If you just look at all of my, you know, theological tweets, 90% of them are just bashing the church. What's going wrong with the church? Where the church has erred? Why evangelicalism is in this great demise and everything is like just bashing the church? And I feel like COVID gave a chance for people to step away from the church And actually, I know lots of pastors, lots of people are not coming back. And why? What is the nature of the church? Do we need the church? And so we just thought it'd be good to take uh, the beginning of the year and just do some study on what is the nature and the function of the church and why do we need the church? And I'm not just here as a pastor telling you you need the church. I mean, I am, so it's kind of cheating. But I think even if I wasn't a pastor at Redemption Church, I know I would be guest speaking up here giving to you the same teaching. So what is the church? We defined the church this way a few weeks ago, and there's four parts to this definition. Number one, the church is, on the next slide, the church is the people of God. So we don't just say this lightly, and we don't just like have a cursed jar in the back if you use the word church wrong. We're not interested in that. But what we are interested in is that we begin to make a shift that the church is not a time, place, or building. Church is not some special, unique, holy place. It's not you walked into this room, and all of a sudden you were met with God's presence. This is not a sanctuary. A sanctuary is the Old Testament word for where God dwelt. Okay, where is God's sanctuary? In his people. This is the whole point of 1 Corinthians 6, that don't you know that you are the temple, the sanctuary of the living God, that God now dwells in his people? And so the people of God is the present day reality that the New Testament calls the church. Number two, the church exists at a certain time within God's story, and it exists in the overlap of the ages. The overlap of the ages, if you're new, is the, the, the end of 
the first world that God made with Adam that Satan took over. When Jesus came on the cross in his resurrection, he put that world to an end and in his resurrection brought a brand new world so that now at the same time, two worlds actually overlap and exist at the same time. And you're like, I don't understand that and that's okay, but let me just give you a practical experiential reality. How many of you this week sinned? How many of you this week loved God? Do you see how those two worlds exist at the same time now? Like, that's the point, is that now as the people of God, we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into a new kingdom, been transferred out of the God of this age, His world, and into God's new world. And that means that we now find our meaning and purpose in that time period. And what we see in this time period is that the church is empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. So the third part is we are the Spirit-empowered people. This is why we spent three weeks on the giftings, the Spirit coming and empowering the people of God to use their gifts to build up the church, not just so that we're a happy, holy club, but to build up the church so that we can actually be a, a light to our city, that when the outside world looks at the church being built up and everyone serving and loving and using their gifts to build us up, they look at us and say what? Man, that is a picture of a world that I want to be a part of. And we say exactly, that's because we are trying to emulate by the power of the Spirit what that new world is finally going to look like. We use our gifts for the sake of God's mission. And so we want to just take a few weeks now and pick apart this third section that just as the Spirit gave each of us individual gifts... He has also given the church people. God has gifted the church with people. And the people that God has gifted the church with primarily are offices of elders and deacons. And so I want to talk this week and probably next week about the the role of elders in the church, the structure of elders in the church, and what the New Testament speaks about the church. And if the entire Bible, as we have been making a case for us over so the last few weeks, over the last few years, over the last few millennia, if you've been here, if the entire Bible is declaring to us who God is and what He's doing in and for the world, then we must interpret Scripture from that lens. The story of God informs us that the present-day people who are involved in God's mission is the church. And if the church is being led by elders, this necessarily correlates that the elders lead the church into God's mission. This is why God has structured the church this way. We exist in the midst of the overlap of the ages as a people who are being led by elders and deacons, and specifically this week, elders, into the story, into the mission. God is a God of order, not chaos. And even though I don't believe the church is specifically an institution, that's a whole other conversation, I do believe the church has institutional aspects. And what I mean by that is when you look at other institutions out there in the business world and in the world around us, one of the primary things you see in an institution is that there is leadership. There's not disharmony. There's not everyone doing whatever they want. There's actually structure. There's, there's order. 
And the church is not a society, the church is not a club for people just to be in, to come in and be cared for and to be loved and patted on the back. It's actually a people who are being cared for to be sent out together to be witnesses to Jesus. And these people who are being sent are being led by a group of people called the pastors. So let's define some things just quickly. In the New Testament, there are three terms used of leaders in the church. I don't know if you're familiar with these, but we'll just talk about them really quick. The first term and the most prominent term that's used of the leaders of the church is called elders. There's another term in the, in the Bible that Paul uses, and actually Peter as well, that talks about a word called overseer, or what you might have heard more recently or commonly is a bishop. And then we have, thirdly, pastors. So we have these three terms, elders, and I'm just going to say bishop. That just sounds more King James and more fun, okay? And so we're going to use bishop, and we're going to use the term pastor. How do these three terms relate to each other? Because lots of church structures out there actually have what they call bishops, who are over a bunch of local churches, and the elders are over their individual local church. Does that make sense? And then there's also lots of structures in, in the church in America where elders are people who just sit on a board and advise the pastors what they should be doing. They're like the business consultants. They're the elders who come once a month to a meeting and the pastors have to sit around the table with these other elders and the other elders inform the pastors how they should be doing their job and what they should be doing. So what I want to say is not that Lots of those structures serve Jesus and his mission. We just don't structure our church that way. How do we structure our church? Well, what we want to say is that we believe that all three of these terms, elders, bishops, and pastors, all refer to the same office, but designate different aspects of that office. So, for instance, in Acts chapter 20, on the next slide, I have a, a long scripture for you from Acts chapter 20, where Paul is leaving Ephesus. He had just started the church in Ephesus and spent a considerable amount of time there, and God gave him considerable fruit, and he's like saying to these elders, I'm probably never going to see you again, and he's giving his last words to these elders, and he says this on the next slide. I think we have it. On, um, yeah, right there. He says this, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time while I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I've served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So talking to these elders, he says this, keep watch over yourselves and over the, all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. So, three times, Paul uses all three terms to the same group of people. Do you see that? They're not talking about different aspects. They're not talking about, hey, when I brought all the elders together, and then he's like, actually, some of you stay there while I go talk to you bishops, and then I'm going to talk to you people who are... No, all three terms are used interchangeably to denote that the leaders of the churches are elders, they're bishops, and they're pastors. 
on the next slide, Titus chapter 1. Paul says this, the reason I left you in Crete, he's talking to Titus, is that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Can you imagine that? There's churches in Crete where Titus was, churches that exist and they had no elders. Today, how does a church start? You have to find an elders, an elder team to go plant a church, right? Back then, you actually had the opposite. You had a whole bunch of people who loved Jesus, but there was no elders, And Paul says to this individual, Titus, I've left you there to appoint elders, to make sure that there is leadership among these people. And here's some qualifications. These elders that you pick must be blameless, faithful, a man whose children believe, not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an, what, overseer, manages God's household, he must be blameless, and he continues to move on. But what you see here, again, is that the term elder and the term overseer or bishop are again used interchangeably. And just to keep beating a dead horse, when we go to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them. Not because you must, because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonor gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. And so Peter here uses, again, the idea of overseeing, exercising oversight to who? The elders who are to shepherd. So how would we put all three of these terms together? I would say this. All elders are pastors and all pastors are elders. And the role that elders and pastors have is they shepherd. They pastor. So people ask us sometimes about our church structure and they say, well, who are the elders? And I'm like, me and Nate. Well, who are the pastors? Nate and I. Well, who are, the, who, are the, who, are the, who are the overseers, the bishops? Nate and I. Like, we believe that these terms are just used interchangeably to highlight different things. Why? Because Paul, when he went places, do you understand that the primary thing Paul had to do was unite Jew and Gentile together? You read Ephesians chapter 2 and you read the book of Acts and there's this, Romans is a whole book about the uniting of, the unification of Jews and Gentiles together. And elder is a very Jewish term. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, Moses was trying to figure out how to lead this million of people who just want to complain all the time. And his father-in-law says, hey, this is what you should do. You should appoint elders. So he appointed 70 elders to help him lead the nation of Israel. And this term elder just carried through the Old Testament that the Jewish people understood what elder was. But when Paul went to Ephesus... And he began to convert and see God save all these Gentiles. And he used the word elder. They were completely clueless, right? Not clueless, but the word he used for them was the term overseer. Because this was a Greek word that they were familiar with. Someone in the military and someone in the the, uh, business world back then. People would oversee and manage. So Paul uses, I believe, a Jewish term. And he uses a Greek term, elder, bishop. And then the New Testament tells us that their primary role is to shepherd. It is to pastor. And what we see in all of this is that these elders, these pastors, these bishops are never flying solo. There is always a team of elders 
there is shared leadership in the New Testament. This shared leadership is demonstrated throughout that Peter and Paul both assign the task of shepherding the church to not other groups, not to a single person, but the elders. Titus is a point elders, not an elder for every church, but elders in every church. Paul addresses all the elders of the church at Ephesus. Peter says to the elders to shepherd the flock of God that's among you. It's repetitive that throughout the New Testament there's this understanding of team shared leadership. There is no senior pastor in the Bible. I take that back. There is. His name is Jesus. First Peter 5 says, when the chief shepherd appears, he is the senior pastor. We are all JV pastors. He's varsity. We serve underneath him. The senior pastor, like people ask, well, who is the senior pastor of our church? We say, Jesus. Why? Because we serve underneath him as a team of people who are looking to add to that team, as you see, people who are trying to lead God's people into the mission of Jesus. So, we're all equal in authority. We're all equal in responsibilities. What we like to say is, you know, it's right now it's kind of weird because there's just two of us as we build this team back up, but, you know, Nate and I both have one vote. Mine isn't 51 and his is 49. Even though I've been here 15 years longer than him. He still has 50% votes. So guess what? Nothing gets done in redemption unless we're both on the same page with it. We have equal authority. This may surprise you. There's things at redemption that are done that I don't like. Isn't that weird? And Nate is like, there's things at redemption he doesn't like. And that's okay. Because we're trying to work together as a shared leadership team underneath what Jesus is wanting and to push you out together into the mission of God. So what we say at Redemption is that all pastors are equal in authority and equal in responsibility, but they might differ in influence. Like just based on the amount of the measure of the gift that God has given them, their influence might be stronger. Does that make sense? Like, that's just, in a sense, how God is worried. But just because those people are more influential, per se, does not mean they have more authority. So God's people are led and shepherded into God's mission by a team of elders who share the load of the responsibilities of equal authority together. And if the church is to take up its role in God's story, it needs faithful elders to lead. And if we want to understand Christian elders and what they're called to do, we must understand the biblical imagery of shepherding. As keepers of sheep, biblical elders are to protect, feed, lead, and care for the flock of God. Now, in some sense, I don't know why God uses sheep. You ever I should have... I did this once, and it, was, it just makes us all feel ashamed of ourselves. You ever seen dumb sheep videos where they just run off a cliff, and they just keep following each other? Okay, well, and that's what God calls us. Aren't you thankful? A bunch of brilliant people who just run off cliffs, which is why we need a shepherd. Okay, and just so you know, I, in some ways, I am a fellow sheep with you. I run off the cliff as well. I know this is going to, this is one of the things we're trying to highlight in the series too. Like, I'm a pastor, but I don't ha- have special connection to God that you don't. 
my favorite thing is when I'm in a situation with people, they always ask me to pray. <laughs> Why? It's okay. It's fine. I'm just used to it. But hey, will you pray? Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm a pastor. And I used to joke, like, that's right, because if I pray, the food will be more blessed going down your body as we eat all of these calories. Right? Like, we have this understanding that this pastor is like this elevated, most spiritual person. In reality, I think in most churches, there's lots of people who are more mature than the pastors. They just haven't been called to be a pastor. There's lots of people who I look up to in this church who are mature spiritually, who listen to God, who love God, but God has just not called them into this role. And so we, as your pastors, as fellow sheep, have been gifted by God and called by God to try to lead you as Jesus leads us. And what that means is, number one, as a shepherd, as an elder, as a bishop, we are called to protect you. A major part of the New Testament elders' work is to protect the local church from false teachers. Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, and it's on the screen, I believe, for you. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul says to the church, the Ephesian elders, Be on guard. For you yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert." One of the things Paul definitely knew is that when he left, Satan was going to come and try to destroy that church. And he says, make sure that you are on guard. Make sure that you are alert to what is happening when I leave. Because there are going to be people who want to come in and destroy you. And I want us to just stop and think, we would be foolish to think that we have actually reached a time in God's history in the church when there are not savage wolves trying to destroy us. I know in the sense of unity, we're trying to be more unified and loving across all the churches in America and all the leaders in America, and to actually speak against people these days is not very popular. You're like, well, you're just a mean old, you know, curmudgeon. But at the same time, there is, and I mean this in every sense of the word, damning theologies present in the American church. Now, we need to be more careful that we don't call someone who's an Arminian a damning theology. That's where we get messed up. But there are lots of savage wolves out there who, in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, are not building a church. They're building their own kingdom. And I know it says savage wolves here, but wouldn't it be nice if these people look like savage wolves? But most of the time, they're nice-looking, well-built, well-groomed, and smiling all the time. And yet, they're savage wolves. So Paul tells Titus this in 
in respect to this, that elders should be required or should be able to know the Scriptures in such a way that they're able to refute those who contradict sound doctrine. He says in Titus chapter 1, he must hold firmly to the message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So let's just take a real basic one, you know. Knock, knock, you open up the door, and all of a sudden there's five people who are well-dressed in suits with suitcases, not suitcases, uh, what do you call those? Um, what? Briefcase. briefcase, thank you, with briefcases. You think to yourself, huh, this is going to be fun. But an elder should be able to refute those people who are trying to promote their heresy, their doctrine that is perverse, that actually takes away from Jesus. And so elders do not have to go to seminary. Do you understand me? They do not have to be trained in a school. In fact, it's interesting. How did Paul do all of his elder training? Hey, guys, pack up, move to Chicago, go to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and when you're done, come on back here, and then we'll put you into... No, he didn't do that, did he? He just invested his life and his teaching in these men so much that he loved them so much that when he's leaving, he's like, guys, be on guard. Be alert. Be able to take what I have taught you of the sound doctrine and be able to refute what is around you. So church, one of the main things Nate and I do in the future elders at Redemption Church is to protect you from false doctrine. And one of the best ways to highlight and show you false doctrine. You ever know how they study counterfeit money? You ever heard this before? They don't study counterfeit. They actually study the real thing, right? So that when they see something different, they can notice it right away. And so that is our approach. If something major comes out that is important to us, and we will highlight it, but the best way to actually protect you is to keep showing you the beauty of Jesus. And what he is doing in the world through you, through us, to lift up Jesus. So number one, we protect. Number two, we feed. Unlike some modern churches, the elders are not just people who sit and advise and make decisions, but elders are required to teach. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says, They should be able to teach. Paul says that the elder must hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to exhort those in sound doctrine. Okay, now, this teaching can take many different facets. It can be one-on-one, it can be one-on-ten, it can be one-on-a-hundred, it can be one-to-a-thousand. Some people are more gifted in a smaller dialogue setting where there's interaction and talking, but they can communicate so that when people actually hear them, they can actually understand it, and then their lives are changed. That's what teaching is, the ability to communicate information in such a way that people take that information and they see life change. An extremely important passage in regards to this is in First. Timothy chapter 5, Paul writes about some elders who will actually labor at preaching and teaching. He says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those work who is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Paul says that there 
are a specific group of people who labor more than others. All are supposed to be teaching, but there might be few among you, and this is just weird, like if you only have one pastor, right? (laughs) All of you, oh, especially you. No, it doesn't work. When there's a team of elders, everyone is charged to teach, and there might be some who are dedicated more specifically to that task. The elders in Acts chapter 20 are encouraged by Paul, admonished by Paul, to teach the whole counsel of God. You ever heard that phrase before? Some people are like, you need to preach, this, again, all the doctrines of systematic theology. To count the whole system, you know, to preach the whole counsel of God, you must preach every doctrine there is. Other people take it to preach the whole counsel of God is, you must preach, some people try to preach every book of the Bible so that they've got the whole thing. Well, the phrase actually says to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So I would just ask, what is God's will? What is God's purposes for the universe? What are God's purposes for the earth? What are God's purposes in in the person of Jesus? These are the things. Like, I can never preach the book of Zephaniah and still preach the whole counsel of God. Why? Because the purposes of God is what Paul is after, the will of God. When we see the will of God in the Scriptures, we make it this individual, personal will. You know, like in Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, don't be transformed, but be con- don't be conformed, be transformed, the renewing of the mind, so that then you will know which college to go to, so that then you will know who to marry, and so that then you will know which job to take. We make the will of God what? All of this individual, personal thing, rather than understanding God's will as His massive purpose for the world summed up in the person of Jesus. And so we just take God's will and make it all about us. Why? Because we belong to a story that says we're individuals who are consumers that make it all about us. So when we read the Bible, what do we do? The same thing. Rather than understanding Paul is coming to the church and saying, these elders... You must continue to be teaching your people what God's purposes in the world are as they are summed up in the person of Jesus. So elders are not people who just simply impart knowledge to the sheep. They are not just making sure they cover as many books of the Bible as possible. They are teaching the church who God is in the person of Jesus, who we are in the person of Jesus and what we are supposed to do in light of who we are in Jesus. So if elders are not teaching the people of God the overarching story, the overarching storyline, and their role in that story, we are not teaching the whole counsel of God. And so number two, elders, pastors, bishops, teach. Number three, they lead. Elders are shepherds who lead. This is the imagery of a pastor, of a true pastor of a true shepherd he is leading his flock and this is what elders are to do they are to lead God's people but I would just ask the question where are they leading where are they taking them (laughs) right like it's pretty easy just to say yeah elders pastors should lead the church but where are we supposed to be leading I'll just say this I dealt with some guilt doing this sermon, I was just like, I can't preach this. I'm like, I'm doing a crappy job. So this is like encouraging me, like, as we lead, where are we taking you? Okay? Where did the the shepherd take the sheep? This is what I was thinking this week. 
Where did the shepherd take the sheep? To green, safe pastures, right? Okay, and we are to lead you to green, safe pastures, which is health and wealth and enjoy your day. Amen. No, the green pastures are the new creation. And we, as we lead you there, are to model that reality as we're going there. That's what the leaders of the church do, is we are, in a sense, leading us to the new creation, which is where the green pastures are, and as we are being led there, we model what that new creation looks like, and so we are to lead, and this is the imagery of what a shepherd does. According to Acts chapter 20 that we've already read in 1 Peter 5, shepherds, among other things, lead the church. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Elders lead, they direct sheep, they govern the sheep, they manage the sheep, they care for the sheep. Or another representative of what means to lead is not just, sorry, another metaphor is not just shepherds, but our stewards. In first, not in first Titus, well, the only Titus, Titus 1, Paul insists that a prospective elder must be uh, uh, mature because he is God's steward. A steward is a household manager with the official responsibility over the master's servants, his property, and even his finances. And so elders, pastors, are the leaders of God's household who are in charge of Jesus' servants, Jesus' property, and Jesus' money. And then just the third metaphor is just in the very word overseer. They supervise, they manage. First Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That's the verb form of overseer, exercising oversights. So we protect you, we feed you, we lead you. But then number four, we care for you. Elders are there are to bear the responsibility for meeting the divide, divi- I can't speak right now, diverse needs of the flock. James says, if any one of you is sick, let him call who? The elders of the church. Paul exhorts in Acts chapter 20 and, and to the elders in Ephesus again, everything I've showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, the reality is this, church. In battle... People are wounded. Loved ones are lost. People get hurt. And elders are to come alongside God's people who have been hurt in the spiritual war in which we find ourselves. See, one of the things about protecting is that one way we protect you is that we remind you that your life is a waging war. We are not at peacetime. And we don't need a battle in Ukraine to to remind us of that. We need to be reminded that every day of our life, we are in a battle. And we're not in a battle against people. We're in a battle against the people or the forces that are behind the people. You understand that, in a sense, and I don't want to be too political here, but just smile and wave at me, okay? Alexander Putin is not our enemy, the one who is behind him and influencing him and actually directing him, that's our enemy. Human beings were never made to be our enemies. 
And yet because of the spiritual war that is being waged, those forces take control of the nations and the nations rage. This is what the book of Revelation is all about, is that throughout all the Again, don't, don't yell at me. Throughout all the thousand years that the church exists between the beginning of Jesus' or the re- leaving of Jesus and his return, there's just going to be nations who are raging and they're being empowered and, and being, um, in a sense, I'm just going to say it, possessed by these forces. We are at war. And when we're at war, relationships get broken. You know why? Because you have an adversary, the devil, who is seeking to devour you. You have people who come alongside of you and they leave you. You've spent all this time with them and you've trained them and then they depart. Or in the midst of this battle, you lose loved ones. See, what the reality is is that we don't have a care aspect of eldership. If we don't have a a, a culture where elders help lead a culture of care, we're just going to be a whole bunch of wounded soldiers out there who are just dying in our pain and our hurts. And it will be impossible to be God's missionaries in our society, in our culture, in our city. Elders should lead the way and create a culture where love and care dominate the church. Because one of the ways that Satan will get to us is not just through false doctrine, but actually through thinking we're all alone and not being cared for. Shepherds, elders, bishops, they protect God's people, they feed God's people, they lead God's people, and they care for God's people. And as we look at these four responsibilities, it is good to remind ourselves of this. That Jesus is the chief elder. Jesus is the chief pastor. Jesus is the chief bishop. He is the one who is ultimately going to feed you, protect you, lead you, and care for you. And he's doing that right now. And, and God does it through, Jesus does it through weird ways, right? One of the ways he does it is through pastors. Another way he does it is through you together, living your life together. But want you to know that I'm going to fail you. Nate's going to fail you. People are going to fail you. But you have a shepherd who will never fail you. You have a shepherd who will never leave you or forsake you. And so, yes, don't put all of your trust in human pastors. Don't put your trust in me. Put your trust in the one I'm trying to point you to. Put your trust in the one who is going to do it perfectly when I fail. He is still going to find ways to meet you, to be with you, to encourage you, to protect you. But one of the primary ways is is through elders, gifts to the church that are being empowered and called and equipped by the Spirit to lead God's people. And this is Nate and I's passion. I'm very imperfect. But I want you to see Jesus. I want you to be a part of what he's doing in the world. I'm not trying to build my own kingdom. I mean, at times I am. But the reality is, is that we are trying to lead you to Jesus and be what Jesus is for you. And so as we are a church, a people, who exists at a certain time, and that time right now is that we are a church being led to the new creation 
by Jesus through his elders, that we would actually embody that new world right now as we're led by qualified men. So that's what elders do. Next week, we'll talk about the fun part. Who gets to be an elder? Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.